the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at Let's Talk Faith.com. Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. The family unit is everything. But here, Jesus comes along and says that that's not right. I deserve your supreme loyalty. Either he's the Lord or he's a maniac. He is the Lord. Only God deserves such loyal love and devotion. And that is precisely what Jesus is claiming. He's telling them that he is deity and therefore they are to love him. As the Bible says, with all their heart, all their minds, all their soul, all of their strength. That doesn't mean the believer loves his family any less than before. In fact, when you're converted, you should love your family more than ever. But Jesus demands and deserves even greater love and loyalty from his followers. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve has been the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida since 1981. His ministry at Lakeside is the basis of these daily radio Bible classes. Today we conclude a three-part message, the first of two, about the marks of a true disciple. Our main text is Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 through 37. If you have your Bible, turn there now. In verse 32, Jesus said, Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. Now, here is Pastor Steve. Now, I want to just clarify something again. Remember, it's not by confessing him that one gets to heaven. That's not what Jesus is saying. The only reason we belong to him is by his mercy and his grace in revealing himself to us based on the merits of Jesus Christ. The Lord is not saying, if you confess me, you're going to go to heaven because you confess me. The confession here is just the evidence. It's the evidence that we really know him. The only way we get to heaven is by the merits, not of anything we've done, but the merits of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he who knew no sin became sin for us. That is to say, Christ who never sinned on, while on the cross took our sins upon himself. He died, not as, a, as one who personally sinned, but he died in the place of sinners. And the Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Christ took our our legal sins, the sins that we should have been punished for upon himself on the cross. And the moment we trust him, he gives us his legal righteousness. Folks, that's the gospel in in a nutshell. That's the great transaction. Jesus is not a sinner, but God treated him as a sinner. We're not righteous, but God treats us as righteous as Christ. That's grace. And the only reason the Lord will confess us as one of his disciples is simply because of his mercy and grace. 
We don't get to heaven by confession. But the confession is the evidence. It's the proof. It's the confirmation that we have genuine faith in him. But what about those who don't? What about those who claim to know him, but they never confess him? Never. Well, he tells us tragically in verse 33 about them. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my father who is in heaven. Sobering words. What serious words. Those who claim to be his disciples, but as a way of life, as a way of life, continuously deny that Jesus is their Lord, will tragically, Jesus said, be rejected by the Father, meaning that they will not be admitted into heaven, but will experience God's eternal wrath in hell. This is most serious. This is most sobering. There's nothing really more serious than this, to be denied entrance by Christ into heaven. I can't think of anything more serious. So we want to be very clear that we understand what Jesus was talking about. As we said before, to never confess Christ before men, which is the same thing as denying him, means that in an attempt to avoid any kind of persecution, you never, ever speak up for him. You never affirm that he's the Lord. You never affirm that he's your Lord. You never affirm that you believe in him and anything like that. You really want nothing to do with Christianity and Christ where it costs. And Jesus is telling us that anyone who continues to deny him proves by that that they are false disciples, regardless of what they claim, regardless of what their mom or dad says, regardless of what their pastor says. Yes, he walked an aisle. I know he's a believer. That's not what Jesus said. If he is or she is, they'll confess me before men. Now, you may believe that you're a Christian, but if you refuse to let others know that you're a Christian because you fear what they'll think, what they'll say, what they'll do to you, and the Lord is very plainly, in fact, I don't know how much plainer he could make it. He's telling you that you're not a genuine follower of his. So don't have false assurance. And although Jesus in this context is specifically talking about denying him with our mouths, there are other ways that we deny him that we should be well aware of. We can deny him by rejecting his word as being authoritative over our lives. How many people do that? That is to say that we may claim to believe in him, but we refuse to live the way he tells us in his word to live. If you do that, you deny him. How many people I've seen over the years who, who will tell you how much they love Jesus, but they don't love him. They've, they'll tell you they've always loved him, but they don't love him. Because Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do what? You'll keep my commandments. And yet when you face them with the word of God, it's like, what are you talking about? Why should I do this? Because the one you said that you love has told you to do this. That's a way of denying him. Paul told Titus in Titus 1.16 about people like this when he said, they profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him. That's exactly what, what we're talking about. They profess to know him, but their deeds reveal that they don't because they deny him by their deeds. We can also deny the Lord by the way we speak, using vulgar language that isn't fitting for a follower of the one who speaks the truth with all graciousness. We can deny him by our immorality, which isn't fitting for a follower of the one who is pure and holy. We can deny him by using falsehood and unethical practices, which isn't fitting for a follower of the one who said he is the truth. See, regardless of what you claim to believe about Jesus, you can deny him by the way you live, 
and by the way you speak. And there are many folks in, in our culture, in evangelical Bible-believing churches who do just that. They enjoy telling you how much they love the Lord, but when it comes to obedience, it's zero. It's as if the word of God didn't even exist. A total disregard for the Lord's commands. And their lives are characterized by total disobedience, total disregard. Jesus himself said in John 8, 31, if you continue in my word, then you prove to be my disciples. That's as simple as it gets. And to those who would continue to deny him, either by refusing to publicly identify themselves with him or by living a life of just blatant hypocrisy, Jesus said that he'll deny you before his father. You know, I can't think of anything more tragic than to go through life thinking you're a Christian and then to die. And the moment after you die, when it's too late, you find out that you were not a Christian that you deceived yourself, you allowed yourself to be deceived. So if you're in this condition where you profess to believe in Jesus, but you are so silent about anything having to do with Christ or Christianity that nobody really knows it, no one at work or home or school would even suspect you might be a believer, then you just aren't one. Don't fool yourself. You're in great danger of dying in that condition. If you do, you will be denied before the Father. Here's what Charles Spurgeon, that great prince of preachers, had to say about the great danger of not confessing Christ before men. He said, and I quote, to live and die without confessing Christ before men is to run an awful risk, disowned by Jesus before his Father who is in heaven. What hell can be worse? And then Spurgeon went on to express himself in a prayer that I think ought to be embraced by every true believer. He prayed this, Lord, let me Never blush to own thee in all companies. Work in me a bold spirit by the Holy Spirit. Let me confess thy truth, whatever the spirit of the age may be. Uphold thy church when she is most despised. Obey thy precepts when they cost most dear and glory in thy name when it is most reproached. That ought to be our prayer. And so if you are at the risk of denying Christ and being denied by him before God, then receive what Jesus has said about you. Don't base your salvation on something that somebody else has said. You're not one of his disciples if you don't confess him and you are in need of conversion. But that's the only the first mark of a true disciple. He confesses him before men. The second mark of a true disciple is that a true disciple loves Jesus more than he loves his own family. It's a strong words. Verse 34, do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. This is a hard saying. Now, why did Jesus say, do not think? Why did he start off by saying, do not think? Because the people who were listening to him did think just the opposite. You see, the prevailing opinion amongst most Jewish people of that day and his Jewish disciples would be included was that the coming of the Messiah would usher in universal worldwide peace. They held to this view because the Old Testament presents the Messiah as establishing a physical kingdom on earth that will be characterized by peace and righteousness. This is why the Old Testament prophet Isaiah referred to Messiah in Isaiah 9-6 as the Prince of Peace. We speak about that usually Christmas time. Why he, he spoke in Isaiah 2-4 
about when Messiah comes, nations of the world will put away their their, uh, weapons and there will be peace on earth. But the Jewish people didn't get the whole picture. They didn't understand all of it. They only understood a part of it. What they didn't understand is that peace on earth will be a reality, but only after the Lord returns the second time when he does establish his kingdom then. And those who enter his kingdom initially are all believers. There will be peace on earth at that point. But peace among mankind was not a reality at Christ's first coming. In fact, just the opposite was true. Since the gospel is rejected by by most people in the world, instead of bringing peace, Christ actually brought strife and conflicts. And that's precisely what he means in verse 34 when he corrects the thinking of his disciples by saying, do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. Change the way you think. I didn't come to bring peace. I've come to bring a sword. The sword that that the Lord is referring to is not a physical sword. It didn't didn't come so that we would kill one another. This is a symbol of strife because the sword cuts. It separates people. It divides. it, It causes rifts amongst people. That's what the Lord is saying. And the rifts are among those who believe in him and those who don't believe in him. And the kind of division that separates and causes rifts, he tells us, actually takes place even in the most meaningful of all human relationships, the family. And so he goes on to tell us in verses 35 and 36. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. This was one of the most radical statements ever uttered by Jesus. And I'll, and I'll tell you why. Because within Jewish families of that era, sons were fiercely loyal to their fathers. And daughters in that era wouldn't think of ever being disloyal to their mothers. And when a young lady married into a family, it was expected that she would look to her mother-in-law for guidance and she would be absolutely loyal to her mother-in-law. But the Lord is stating that with his disciples, that may not be the case. The members of his own household may very well be his enemies. Why? Because within a family, you may have an unbelieving father and a believing son. We're talking about believing in Christ or not believing in him. And therefore, conflicts, watch this, over life's values will inevitably arise. Or within a family, you may have a believing mother and an unbelieving daughter or unbelieving daughter-in-law, and therefore, there's bound to be strife. Strife that'll take over, take, take place because of, of different values that involve all sorts of issues. Many of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you, you really uh, have unsafe family members. You understand this, and you know that your faith in Christ has caused all kinds of conflicts all kinds of misunderstandings with them. And these are the kinds of conflicts and misunderstandings that hurt us deeper than anything else. We can usually handle the conflicts with other people, but our own family, that's, that's the hardest because these are the people we love the most. We care more about what they say about us than anybody else. I remember when uh, I was a relatively young believer, an unsafe family member asked me to do something for them that involved a financial arrangement that I really wasn't comfortable with. And it wasn't so much that it was illegal what they were asking me to do. It was just not very ethical. Might have been legal, but it was a little bit shady and it was unethical. And I said, I'm sorry, but I can't do that. And you know what? My family members couldn't understand my decision. 
They were angry with me. They felt I was disloyal to the family. I hurt them financially, and they were quite upset. But folks, that's what Jesus is talking about. There will be times when we are all placed in some very awkward situations with family members where Christ's standards of holiness will come in direct conflict with our family's standards, the way they believe we should live and they should live, and it's bound to have uh, to cause strife. So what do we do then? What do we do when we're forced into choosing? Well, Jesus revealed the way a true disciple will handle these kinds of situations. Verse 37, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. This is a hard saying. The Bible teaches, and I think we should be very clear about this, that when a person becomes a Christian, it does affect his family, her family life, but it affects them for the better. It affects them for the better because we will now have a new God-given love for our families where before it was just a natural love, but now there's a divine love. So a converted man will be a better father, a husband, a son, because he'll love his wife so much that he will sacrifice for his wife as Christ sacrifices for the church. He will love his children so much that he will serve them by correcting them and taking time to train them in the ways of God. He will not dominate over them. He will actually be a servant to them by training them. He will listen. He will spank them when they need to be corrected. As inconvenient as that might be, not out of anger, but he will actually take a rod to their little behinds and teach them that there's a consequence for sin. He will serve them. He'll, be, he'll love them enough to do that. And he will love his parents so much that he will honor them with respect. And a converted woman will become a better wife, a better mother, a better daughter, because she will now love her husband in the sense that she is so in love with Christ that she will submit to her husband in submitting to Christ. And she'll love her children so that she'll invest her life in them in order to raise them for the Lord. And she will love her parents also so much that she will honor them all the days of of their lives. But as much as a disciple of Jesus loves his family, we love Christ more. That's the mark of being a genuine disciple. You love Christ more. You don't love your family any less, but he has the supreme allegiance. Our, our first loyalty is to him, even if it results in a falling out with your most cherished loved ones on earth. I remember talking to a relative of mine who said that she had come to faith in Christ, but she, she couldn't speak to her, her dad about salvation. She was afraid of what he might say or, or do to her. And I remember telling her, That's part of the cost of being a disciple. If you're going to follow Christ, you follow him all the way. And if your dad is upset with you, then he's upset with you. There's no way of avoiding that. That's precisely what Jesus is talking about. Our supreme love and our supreme loyalty is not to our family as much as we love them, but it's to our Lord. And where we have to make a decision as to what to do, there should be no question about it. We are loyal to Christ, even beyond the love and loyalty we have for our families. And what Christ's statement of loyalty and love, folks, I don't know if you, if you see this just by a casual reading of this, but what it indicates is that he's God. This is one of the, the, the 
most profound declarations that Jesus made that he's God. And let me tell you why. Let's, listen, here's, here's the bottom line. No mere Jewish rabbi in his right mind would ever tell his disciples to love him more than his parents or children. If anything, in Judaism, there's always the stress of being loyal to your mom and dad and your family. The family unit is everything. But here, Jesus comes along and says that that's not right. That's not right. I deserve your supreme loyalty. Either he's the Lord or he's a maniac. He is the Lord. Only God deserves such loyal love and devotion. And that is precisely what Jesus is claiming. He's telling them that he is deity and therefore they are to love him. As the Bible says, with all their heart, all their mind, all their soul, all of their strength. So folks, if Jesus is God, bottom line, we owe him our total allegiance, don't we? That's the point that he's saying is the experience of true disciples. We have turned from the sin of living for ourselves. That's repentance. We no longer live for ourselves. We have turned to him in a total self-surrender to Christ, trusting his death on the cross for our salvation and submitting to his authority over our lives. Now, the question is, have you ever had that experience? Have you ever turned from yourself to Christ alone for salvation? And if you have, then the marks of being a true disciple will be evident in your life. Even if you struggle along the way, there will be evidence. And that evidence will come out and you confess him before men, verbally, as well as in your life. And you love him more than anyone else. Otherwise, it's idolatry to put anyone ahead of Christ. We love him first. We confess him before men. Let's bow for prayer. If you have passed the test, then praise the Lord. You can have and should have biblical assurance of your salvation. But if not, then take these words to Christ to heart. You are not converted. You are those who merely claim to know Christ, but the evidence is not there. So I urge you, before the sun goes down today, turn to Christ. Call out for his mercy and grace. Trust him alone for his salvation. Turn from your sin. Turn from self and trust Christ and Christ alone. And these evidences will begin to emerge in your life. Father, we thank you for being so so forthright with us. Thank you, Lord, for not beating around the bush. Thank you for telling us the truth, even though it has, I'm sure, shaken up some folks. May it shake them up enough that they come to faith in you. And for those, Lord, who really do know you, may we be more bold than ever, gracious but bold. May we love our families more, but may we love you even more than them. Lord, it does cost to be a follower of yours. I pray that uh, you would refine us at this church. May we be the kind of followers that you tell us to be in your word, the kind of followers, Lord, that you're not ashamed of as we're not ashamed of you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How about you? If you were charged with being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Will Jesus say to the Father, This is one of mine? Or will he say that he never knew you? As we have seen, God's word shows us how we can know for sure. 
You are listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Since 1981, Pastor Steve has been preaching expository or verse-by-verse messages at Lakeside. Verse-by-verse ministries now makes his practical lessons available through this fine radio station. We are a faith ministry made possible in part by the gifts and prayers of interested listeners who are first faithful to their own church. Today's class was the conclusion of a three-part message. If you would like to hear this entire message at once, you can order a CD or a cassette by calling us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will return your call during weekday office hours. That number again, 727-441-1714. Today's broadcast is available for listening online or downloading at versebyverseradio.org. We also have previous classes on the archives page. You might want to take advantage of our complimentary newsletter or our free podcasting service while you're looking around the website. The address again is versebyverseradio.org. When Jesus told his disciples that they needed to take up their cross and follow him, he didn't have to explain what that meant. They saw people on crosses all the time. But maybe we don't quite appreciate the full impact of what Jesus demanded. In our next class... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.